Welcome to Talk Me Some Art and Other Stories. I'm Guy Massey. And I'm Pierre Massey. Pierre's here with me in the studio to talk about everything that has to do with music. And I think we're going to particularly uh, angle on the um, aspects of ecclesiastical or ecclesia music, music of the church. It's important in, in, in many of our lives. I can't say all of our lives, but yes, I can say all of our lives. Pierre's made a... Um, a little detour from it right now. Uh, he's selling cars for my brother Paul's dealerships. He's doing a bang-up job, but he, the music is going to always be with It's like riding a bike, isn't it? Um, it really is. So, Pierre, welcome. I'm going to get you. we'll get to some questions. Anything you want to introduce about about music in general? Music in general? Well, I I um, <laughs> the arm of music that I like the most, of course, is sacred music. Sure. That's what I've always been interested in. The human voice is the uh, the big turn on for me in music. I oh. love good singers. I love people who are not even good singers who are using their instruments uh, to make music. I love uh, amateur choirs, the sound they can make. I Wonderful. Love, I love uh, children's choirs, uh, inexperienced um, people. Young people, especially uh, who have a good ear and love music, I love I love what they can do with their voices too. So, where did you pick up your love for all things music? In my childhood, I grew up in the same house you did, and my parents were uh, professional church musicians. My father was a full time well, not a full time, I suppose. That means they got paid for what they did, right? That's right. Yeah. So, professional just means you're paid. But they both loved music, listening to it and making it. Um, Dad, in particular, had a, you know this whole full-time life. Mom, raising six kids, could not devote or study like she wanted to. She loved jazz. She uh, she loved classical singing. She loved opera. But Dad was more the the classical artist, and you know he was a very very fine organist uh, in church. And he had choirs, children's choirs, and adult choirs all of his life. And I like the way you say ad adult instead of adult. I like that. It oh. rolls off the tongue nicer. Wow, interesting. <laughs> and Pierre's my brother, in case I didn't, I didn't mention that earlier. Claude, uh, as you know, was on earlier. Um, a couple of weeks ago, I had him on for talking about birds and providence and St. John the Baptist, speaking of Ecclesia. Uh St. John the Baptist was actually where I first heard sacred music when I was just a boy. We moved out of that parish when I was six, but then I was an altar boy and I sang in dad's choir. Not the, I never sang in his children's choir, but I was always frustrated in the music classes in school. Sure, uh, frustration's going to play, play a role. I always compared them to dad's adult choir. Okay. I always thought that was like the, the pinnacle of singing was dad's adult choir. Wonderful. Yeah, but it was just an amateur group, but he had them doing real repertoire, and they were 30 or some odd, very uh, enthusiastic. A small, real go get them group. And they never missed. If they were going to, there was a mass, they were there. They didn't miss rehearsal, they didn't miss mass. Back in those days, maybe there just wasn't so much vying for their time. That's one of the hardest things with amateur choirs these days, is getting people. To make that commitment and stick with it, you know, coming together. Of course, now during COVID, they recommend 
you know, no singing in the same proximity of another person because of what can come out, aspirant, uh, you know, things that can give, that can carry the virus. But, and this is a big, big shock to a lot of choirs and churches right now, and hopefully this will change quickly. Speaking of, I know you had your early training and <laughs> training with uh, listening to music, all sorts of music, because I know that as a child, we listened to pop, uh, popular music of the day. Uh, we went up to our neighbors. We were in a tenement house in Pawtucket, and we ventured upstairs to sit behind the stereophonic <laughs> Motorola. And uh, as Bill, our great neighbor, would put on, uh, you know, There's things like the Alley Cat. There's a podcast. Sure, guy. Mitch Miller and... Uh, Nat King Cole, but where did you go on? Uh, what was your schooling beyond that? I, you, well, I studied piano with dad. My father taught me piano, but it was a you know like the cobbler's son. I had sure almost no lessons. I mean, in a year, maybe ten lessons, and he had to cancel often because he had sixty students, and that, that was money making. He had to raise his six children. He had to raise his family. Put us through Catholic school. Pay the bills, and you know, if he had to cancel anyone, it was his son. And you know, I think he saw that I was getting serious around God. The age of fourteen or fifteen, I was getting very serious about it. Even though in high school there was nothing, absolutely nothing. Speaking of a desert, in the high school that I went to, not to disparage them in any way, but it was sort of the norm back then in in Rhode Island in public sure. public and Catholic schools. I went to St. Raphael Academy. As all my family did. And there was just nothing uh, worthwhile in music making at all. Uh, no classes in theory or ear training, solfege, any of that stuff that you would get in a really good music program. There's so much that can be taught to children academically about music. Right. It is just not uh, taught, you know, classes in reading music. Okay, right. I understand that. I didn't mean to, I, I didn't mean to stop you there. I was just agreeing with you. That's okay, guy. You're the, you're you're in charge. Beyond beyond dad and my mom, um, have any others any other people living or dead inspired you? Right. So my first, I mean, I I do. I just want to say a word about mom and dad. You know, the guy said it was pop music, classical music, opera. You walked into the Massey house at any given moment, either you know you'd be hearing Roberta Flack or you'd be hearing the Doobie Brothers or you'd be hearing you know, um, Puccini, we played our music unabashedly, loudly. We were loud people. We and are when, a loud people. And when my father played his opera, it was all turned up, and my mother was the same way. So we, we, uh, we vied for each other's attention, as we still do, sharing uh, composers we love, music that we love, Guy and Claude especially, really... Uh, really into their music and they want sure to share will. it. They want to share it at every instance and convert you. Uh, I would do the same thing with my love of pipe organ music, which was growing back then. I was, you know, I, I couldn't play very well, but I wanted to emulate, emulate dad. And then I wanted to be uh, a classical musician at one point in high school. So that path started me listening to music. And so my brothers would come into the house and they'd say, what are you listening to? I'd say, that's uh, 
that's Lucia di Lamamore, you know, Donizetti. So I, you know, like it was yesterday. And of course, I had that that great singer that was always being played in our house, and Joan Sutherland. That she, oh, the epitome really of great vocal technique. And talk about pipes. I, I learned probably more about the human voice listening to her than any one singer I can think of. Other I than I think so, some contemporaries that I, I you know, uh, Chris Lowry is is another great musician that I know. Uh, but anyway, I without going off on that, I would say the inspiration for me was dad and mom. Uh, That's so awesome, Pierre. Dad would pick up mother to sing a wedding at the church. And she was a last-minute lady. And on a hot summer day, she had to sing a wedding. She was not a, a small woman, but she would get all dolled up. She'd be in the shower. She'd open the door. Steam would come out of the out of the bathroom. And she'd be teasing her hair. And she'd be, my father would arrive, you know, 45 minutes before the wedding. And he'd say, Lucy, we've got gotta be there. And he would just start playing and she would fill the house with amazing singing. Uh, and that inspired me. Her vocalism was extraordinary. A natural gift. She could have easily, without question, had she had the right training, I know this now, uh, been a great mezzo-soprano. Everyone always called her a soprano. I know now that she was a, a mezzo. And she had the low register that sopranos crave to have. She had a beautiful, milky, low register. We have some recordings of her, and her upper register was big, and it could knock a wall down. So uh, she was really, her sounds filled the house. And when they did, I was inspired by that as a young boy. And I remember my father uh, being so proud to take my mother with him to that wedding and show her off. Anyway, those are the two big influences. I've got others, uh, but those were the first. Where was your formal training? Well... As things developed at high school, I, I barely skimmed into um, into conservatory. I tried to get into New England Conservatory. I was rejected just because I had no real training in uh, keyboard, even though I was playing a lot of hard music. I mean, my audition pieces were very difficult, but I couldn't read music because dad wasn't teaching me uh, how to do that. And I was just learning by playing a million times over and driving the neighbors crazy. Uh, I mean, I played real repertoire. Dad knew how to give that to me, but I I loved it so much I learned how to play it. It gave you the love for serious music. You had right. a serious approach, and so I couldn't I couldn't pass the entrance exams at uh, New England Conservatory, and I was rejected, um, which was a big defeat. But then my first out actually New England Conservatory in, in Boston was not my first choice. I wanted to go to Princeton. I wanted to go to Westminster Choir College because around the same time I was getting very excited about choral music. And uh, I had some recordings of Westminster Choir, uh, the old Westminster Choir, which I thought was just amazing. I didn't know what was going to hit me. I had no idea what was to expect. And little did I know that the, probably the world's greatest choral conductor at the time, Joseph Flummerfeld, was yes. at, the, yes. at the home. Awesome. And we went there with mom and dad. We drove for my audition for piano. I was auditioning for piano. But talk it to Princeton. And I also failed all of the tests at Westminster Choir College. And they, oh. yeah, it was a big blow. And yet the difference with Westminster Choir College being a small private school is they got actively involved. They saw something in my audition that said, he may not have the skill, 
but he's got the musicianship. Oh, right? oh, wow. Okay. Right. And so the dean of the school actually called me one day when I was working in a hardware store with a guy and said, Pierre, you know, you, 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 you failed some of these tests just by a small number. At that point, I had really done all I could to study theory. And uh, I was, I passed those tests, some of those tests. Actually. I know you did. I know you did. I remember. I remember. But they just could not accept me. Uh, until I passed certain tests. I don't remember anymore. They had a local Westminster alum test me again. It was on Mother's Day. Uh, I, remember it, I remember it like it was yesterday, 1978. And I passed that test, probably because I was so prepared. And uh, I skimmed in there, and I worked my tail off that summer. And actually, it was 79. 78 was uh, not the year, 79. I spent the summer really honing my skill, but when I landed at Westminster Choir College, I was surrounded by peers that really knew what they were doing, and I knew nothing. Sure. That first year, I actually got sick. I was so. Oh, did you? I, I was so taxed. Yeah, I I, I got mono from just oh, yeah. the sheer exhaustion. I was working in the kitchen because we had no money, so I was raising my own money to go to school there, and. I just loved that environment. There's still no school in the world like it. Uh, Westminster Choir College in Princeton, New Jersey. Uh, shout out to you. They're going through. Uh, Give them a plug. Yeah. Yep. I won't get into that. There's a whole story there. I won't get into that. But uh, that place changed my life. And music making there was on a professional level. And the choirs routinely sang with the New York Philharmonic, Philadelphia Orchestra, uh, and other professional orchestras and conductors, Ricardo Muti in Philadelphia, uh, Leonard Bernstein. I in, like the in, name dropping in here. New York. Well, I'm just trying to. These are these are facts. I worked no. with Zubin Mehta. Go for it. You know the conductor of the New York Philharmonic for many years. Uh, Claudio Abado came and worked with us with Sequoia Garden. Awesome. Carlo Maria Giulini worked with us. Oh, yes, yes, yes. One of my biggest memories is of him conducting us in the Brahms Requiem that to this day, (coughs) just uh, uh, when I think about it, it was an amazing, exhilarating experience. And, of course, that conductor of West Side Story and other pieces. Leonard Bernstein. Yes. I never worked with him personally. Okay. Uh, I did work with him in the summer of 87, but not at Westminster. Just continuing with the lane dropping. If you were to, uh, if you were to conduct a class yourself and possibly grade people, uh, what would be your essay question for your class? Hey, this is a great question. You told me this was coming, so I did think about this a little bit. I think the biggest problem with making music today is we don't trust ourselves enough. Uh, it took me a long time to go from being a chorister at Westminster Choir College being a choral conductor. Uh, What's the difference? Well, trust. To listen. To really listen. To let go of what is in front of you. Trying to make it something. And instead, um, listen to what's actually happening in front of you and reacting. Uh, I learned this when I started my own professional group. Ecclesia Consort. I started that in 1992 with a friend, and we invested a lot of time and energy. I, I was the conductor. He was the president. We auditioned the best singers we could find. 
we started probably the first <clears throat> and best small chorus in Rhode Island at the time. Now there are others that are doing much more, much better work than I ever did. Okay. Uh, but they've got, you know, they've been standing on shoulders. And so they, they were able to do, to do more, go further. We always have to stand on shoulders. Uh, I stood on the shoulders of, of Joseph Flummerfeld at Westminster Prior College, who actually became a personal friend of mine later in life, in surprising That's way. right. That's right, Pierre. I even have a wooden <coughs> uh, wooden window kind of engraving piece. It fits beautifully in the window when light goes through it, but I don't want to digress. And then and then with Joe Flummerfeld was Harold Zabrak, my four-year piano teacher at Westminster. And later, when I was dating my wife, we would go to New York actually New Jersey. Uh, he lived just over the bridge uh, to Harold Zabrak's apartment uh, and uh, would have a lesson every two weeks in piano. He was, without question, perhaps the greatest musical influence on my sense of line and direction in music, uh, my sense of, you know, hearing inner voices. It's terrific. Going after... Um, whatever is happening in the score, and loosening this up. He believed in me. He was one of the first persons wow. who directly told me, hey, you're hearing things and doing things on the piano uh, that are really worthwhile. And uh, I needed to hear that from someone that I trusted, and I really trusted him. And uh, he was a great influence. And sadly, he passed away some years ago. Yes. But he was a friend and he was a great mentor, and uh, so was Harold. So was Joseph Lummerfeld in the end. Uh, but I was in his Westminster choir. I sang in his choir for a, one year. Went to Italy with him in Spoleto and sang in the Westminster choir as a tenor. And we sang live opera, fully fully costumed. Yes, in, yes, right. Big, big production. Beautiful. Oh, yeah, we did that in first in Charleston, South Carolina for five weeks that summer of 83. And then the whole crew, orchestra and everyone, went over to um, the Festival of Two Worlds in Spoleto, Italy, pardon me, and had a great time there singing uh, Antony and Cleopatra of an American composer, Samuel Barber. We won the Emmy Award that year. And uh, Madame Butterfly, which is a great opera by Puccini that was fully costumed and I was dressed as a bonzo priest. So really exciting times. I mean, I had great experiences. I could never have thought I would have when I was a boy by going to Westminster Choir College. What's your, what's your Desert Island piece? Um, I'm really curious on this one. <clears throat> well, I really know choral music. That's my life. Okay. And although it might not be on the top of anyone's greatest choral work ever composed, I... I share the love of a work that someone turned me on to late in life, uh, Mark Malkovich, who ran the Newport Music Festival for many years. And my choral group, a plays your consort, sang in eight of the festival um, summers. We did uh, you know, concerts in the mansions and local churches in Newport, which is a great festival. Was especially a great festival. It's not as, as it was. Hopefully it'll come back. Um, I asked him that same question about 20 years ago, and he said, without question, his favorite desert work was the E-flat major Misa Solemnis of Franz Schubert. I didn't even know it. Uh, 
but I, I'll tell you one thing. I listened to it and bought a good recording of it and listened and immediately could hear what he was hearing in it. That was his Desert Island Bees. And I would say that would bring me lots of pleasure on a desert island if I had nothing else. That is a great work. Uh, I came very close to performing it with my choir in Newport. Uh, and then the festival uh, took over a new direction and we were, we were, we were cut from the, from the festival on that year, sadly. But maybe someday we'll revisit that great score. Well, Pierre, I want to genuinely thank you for, I didn't know if you wanted to add anything. Did we miss anything on our questionnaire? Packet? No, they're your questions. I, they are? You, did I give you too much information? No, I think you were very, very succinct, but maybe, uh, do you want to elaborate on anything? There's so much more I could say. You asked me the question about students, what I would tell students. Oh, okay. I don't think I even answered it. Okay, what would you tell did students? I tell, did I say? Believe well, in yourself. I did say the answer. Yeah, because I asked you uh, what would be your yeah, essay listen, question. Listen to what the sound that's Is coming. that the essay question one? Yeah. Okay. Listen to the sound coming to you. But what, what, was, what would be the essay question in print on that test? If you were giving your test and you had one essay question. I would ask, oh, the, what would the question be? A theory. You know, for the uh, thesis, the thesis. How open are you oh. to listening while you're trying to make music? And you did touch on that, and I apologize. You have to stay actively involved every second that you're singing, every second that you're conducting, every second that you're playing to make real music. Yeah, this was a great interview. Um, it's short, but sweet. I wish we could talk longer. And we can talk longer. But I think we've we've really touched on everything that we needed to 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 touch upon. So with that, this is Guy Massey, and this is Pierre Massey, and we want to thank you for listening to this twenty-two and some odd minute segment we call the Ecclesiastical Experience with Pierre Massey, right here on Talk Me Some Art and Other Stories. Boy, is that a mouthful. I won't even tell you the episode number. And we're right here in Warwick, Rhode Island at Studio South bringing this to you. So take care, one and all. I want to thank um, Pierre, of course. I want to thank all my past and present guests. Uh, conversations we've had have been really stimulating. That's what we aim it to be with this program. And Other Stories brings that in. But I also want to thank you, the listeners, the support. The only support you need to do is listen Tell your friends about this. Let them know, please. I'm just here alone doing this, and I want to share these experiences with you. So for all of us from here, thanks again, and have a wonderful rest of your day.